Let's look at uh, Romans 7 and verse 1. Paul writes this. Or do you not know, brothers, for I'm speaking to those who know the law, that the law is binding on a person only as long as he lives? Thus a married woman is bound by law to her husband while he lives, but if her husband dies, she is released from the law of marriage. Accordingly, she will be called an adulteress if she lives with another man while her husband is alive. But if her husband dies, she is free from the law, and if she marries another man, she is not an adulteress. Likewise, my brothers, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ, so that you may belong to another to him who has been raised from the dead in order that we may bear fruit for God. For while we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. But now we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive, so that we serve not under the old written code, but in the new life of the Spirit. Let's ask God to bless the teaching of his word this morning and show up in a powerful way. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we, we thank you that you're a God that said where two or three gather in my name, there you will be. And that is so significant. Father, we don't just need new information. We don't need increased information this morning. We need a work of your spirit. We need you to take this information and give us understanding in our minds and filter it down to our hearts and our desires and our passions and the way we live. Changing the very center core of who we are, O oh God. And you can only do that. No man, no woman can do that. But you by your Spirit can do that. So teach us, O oh God. Would you teach us, Holy Spirit? Would you show us more of Jesus and show us more of what it means to live for Him? What real obedience is, O oh God. And how we can see it in our lives more and more clearly. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. When Rachel and I moved to Colorado, uh, Whitney and Jed had uh, dated through high school, but, uh, but they had broken up for a time, and Whitney had completed her freshman year at the University of Memphis, and, and Jed had been away to college at Liberty University in Lynchburg, Virginia. Uh, they had renewed the relationship and had a long-distance relationship for about six months, uh, when we uh, moved to, to Colorado. And, um, and the plan in moving to Colorado was, was very, uh, very simple. Our, our whole family was going, and we gave Whitney that opportunity, and, and she decided that, yes, yeah, she wanted to move with us to Colorado. So after her freshman year, she uh, moved with us, and, um, and she was going to sit out a year and work and um, then go back to school once she established residency in Colorado. Well, that was the plan, all our family together in Colorado. Until a couple weeks, three weeks in, uh, in Colorado, Whitney walks into our bedroom, and she, we can tell she's kind of beating around the bush, and, you know, she, she says, you know, I, I, I need to talk to y'all. Uh, what would y'all think about me marrying Jed? We're thinking, Mary, Jed, he lives 3,000 miles from here. We just moved to Colorado. That's not the plan. Do you really want to do that? Do you really want to live poor? Do you, you've got three more years of college to go. Do you want to go to college full time, work 
full or part-time, be married. And she said, yes, I do. Dad and mom, I love him. And then you have Ashley. Life was going great. Ashley was out of college. She was teaching first grade, living with um, some roommates. They were traveling, having a great time. Life was good, living the single life. And then one day, we're on our way as a family to my niece's wedding in Birmingham, and Ashley is in the back seat, and she's real quiet. And we kind of look back, and she's been texting, and Ashley didn't text much. And finally, after a while, of course, my wife noticed this. I'm about as perceptive as a log. And so my wife said, uh, Ashley, who are you texting? I thought, you know, whatever, that's a great question. And all of a sudden, they were silenced. And then there was a sheepish voice from the back seat. Um, a boy? You know, I'm driving, I'm thinking, oh, my goodness, you know, well, tell us. Well, we met for coffee, and, we, you know, the first time we met was at the symphony chorus. And a few months later, you know, I've got this guy saying, can I marry your daughter? And sure enough, she wanted to marry him. I said, honey, do you want to marry him? I do. Why? Because I love him, Dad. I love him. And then we come to Amy Catherine, who happens to be here this morning. And she... Um, a couple of years ago, a year and a half ago, how long? Two and a half years ago? My, how time flies. <laughs> she calls and um, we're talking and she said, I, I met somebody last night. I said, really? I said, yeah, it, yeah, I, I met him. I was at a fraternity party and I was at the fraternity house and that's all I heard for the next, you know, for a little while. <laughs> Uh, you, you were where? With, with who? And, and, and she said, oh, I met this guy, but he's different. He's special, Dad. He told me he was waiting for a girl like me to walk into the fraternity, fraternity house, someone who didn't drink and someone who didn't throw themselves at him. My first thought was, you fell for that line? Are you kidding me? <laughs> but, oh, Dad, he, he's great. He's, he's from Delaware. I said, Delaware? I got my map out real quick. Where in the heck is Delaware? I said, we don't do cross-cultural dating in this family. And uh, you know I'm joking there. And he plays hockey, Dad. I'm like, hockey at Mississippi State? They have a hockey team at Mississippi State? I mean, surely this guy's lying to you, you know. Well, I tell you, one thing led to another. And when Tom sat me down and asked to marry her, I said, Tom, why do you want to marry my daughter? And he said, Mr. Reeves, she introduced me to Jesus. And I went back to that first conversation, and we talked about where he was spiritually, and I said, honey, we don't do evangelistic dating, right? And, you know, I don't, I don't recommend that. And, well, her intuition was right, and uh, he came to faith in Christ through her. And I said, why do you, why do you want to get married Amy, I mean, you know, you've got another year of college, and that's a big concern. And, you know, why do you want to do that? Well, Dad, I love him. Last week, Chris did a great job in looking at the last portion, or kind of the mid-portion of chapter 6 and forward, on uh, this whole reality that we are all slaves to something. Uh, Paul uses this metaphor that we are slaves uh, either to Jesus or to sin, and we all have a master. Whether we like it or not, we all have a master. And this week, Paul transitions not in, um, in content of teaching, but in metaphor and illustration. 
he goes from showing how we are slaves now to using this whole metaphor of marriage. And the first question you have to ask is, why are you going from slavery to marriage? And the answer is simple, because they're very similar. (laughs) Slavery and marriage are very similar and yet radically different. Uh, you, You see, there's a huge difference in Whitney wanting to move 3,000 miles away uh, to live dirt poor, uh, to spend three years in school, uh, barely seeing the man she wanted to marry, and slavery. (laughs) And that difference is love. And that's what Paul is wanting us to see, is that He's really asking the question and really putting before us this this issue of, are you madly in love with Jesus? Do you realize that, that you're no longer married to the law, but you are married to Jesus if you're a Christian? Are you madly in love with him? Will you go where he says go? Do you value what he values? Have your taste changed? Has your life changed? Has the direction of where you were going, your goals and your objectives, have they changed because you have fallen in love? You see, this is not religion is the law. Religion is saying, okay, I will follow this teaching. And that becomes slavery. But Christianity says, I will follow this man. I'm in love with him. And so what we have in these verses is a way to kind of unpack this whole reality of how the gospel is motivated by love and not law. And it's so important, so let's look at it. The first thing that we need to see, if we really want to understand Christianity, is that if you are not married to Jesus, then you are married to the law. Let me get this straight. If you say you are not a Christian here this morning then it's not that you are uncommitted and unclaimed. If you are not married to Jesus, you are married to the law. I read a blog this week by a wife, and it was called and entitled, My Husband is a Jerk and I'm a Little Pouty Snot. Great, great blog. She wrote, I've had many women assume that my husband is perfect because it appears to them that our marriage is so good. I laugh and tell them that our marriage is good, but not because my husband is perfect. He is an overbearing jerk, and I am a pouty little snot. But we know this about each other, and we work at our marriage. Do you understand how incredibly good that perspective is on marriage. If you don't understand what she's saying there, then your marriage is in trouble. Or if you're not married, you don't need to be married. Because this whole reality is that we all live in light of the law and we are condemned by it. And this whole relationship is to the law and our ability to to obey the law or not is at the very essence of how we relate to one another. We see that in a a few passages in scriptures when it comes to the relationship of husband and wife. Listen, Proverbs 13, excuse me, Proverbs 19, 13 B. A wife's quarreling is a continual dripping of rain. Now for the men, Colossians 3, 19. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. 
In other words, do not be an overbearing jerk or a nagging wife. Now, why why are the Scriptures telling us this? Why are we getting these commands? Because in Genesis chapter 3, after God gave us over to our sin, after after sinful nature and sinful DNA was conceived in us, this is what God said about the relationship between husband and wife from that point forward. In Genesis chapter 3, in verse 16, he looks at the woman and he said, Your desire will be for your husband and he shall rule over you. And I want you to know that that's the conflict of every single marriage that has ever existed. The woman will look to the man to be her life. She she will get love and idolatry so confused that she will look to this man to satisfy every need that she has. And when he can't do that and he can't do that, she will nag the ever-living crud out of him. But when a man gets married, he thinks that, well, she is going to just bow down to me. She's going to, you know, come before me and be my little servant. And she's going to, her goal in life is going to be to figure out what pleases me and she's going to do it. And so when you put together a nagging wife and an overbearing jerk of a husband, you've got issues. And that's why every marriage has issues. Uh, Because here's what we do. It's all rooted back in the fall. We all are relating out of the law. Husbands and wives, we're looking to each other and we're all holding up these expectations that have been drilled in us by, you know, our family and by culture and by our own sinful nature. And we have all these expectations that we don't even know that we have most of the time until we get married and they start coming out and being fleshed out. And we start relating to one another through the law. And it's hell. Because none of us can bear up under the law. But because this is the way we relate to one another, because we accept or reject one another based on how well another person, and it's not just in marriage, but how well another person meets our expectations, we think that's how God relates to us. So the way that we think about relationship is utterly distorted, and that's what Paul is getting at here. Listen to chapter 7, verses 1 through 3. Or do you not know, brothers? He's saying, you should know this, my friends. For I'm speaking to those who know the law. You know the purpose of the law, that the law is binding on a person only as long as he, he lives. For a married woman is bound by law to her husband while he lives, but if her husband dies, she is released from the law of marriage. Accordingly, she will be called an adulteress if she lives with another man while her husband is alive. But if her husband dies, she is free from that law. And if she marries another man, she is not an adulteress. You see, Paul, and it's very confusing because you're like, well, who's the husband in this? And what what, is the law or husband? Is that look, he's just saying this and it's not very simple, um, you know, once you read it. But this is what he's saying. Trust me. He's saying, look, before you're a Christian, you are married to the law. Before you're a Christian, the only way that you can relate to God is by Him holding up the perfect standard of the law and saying, you fulfill it all or you get no love from me. The only way to God outside of Christ is perfect obedience to the law. 
And you can't do it, and nor can I. It's repressive. It's abusive. It sucks all the life out of us if that's how we try to approach God. And that's the picture of the one who is outside of Christ. Galatians 3, 10 through 14, for all who rely on the law. You see, the law is not bad. We're going to get to that. But, but go with me here. For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. You see, the law as the condition upon which we stand righteous or unrighteous, loved or unloved before God, is a curse because we are sinners. And you and I don't fully get how deep the web of sin is ingrained in us and our nature. It's so much so that in Isaiah 64, 6, we read this. We have all become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. The good things that we do are evil because of the motivation from which they come. Jeremiah 17.9 The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can understand it? Do you know that about you? Then why do you trust your opinion so much? Why do you think you are right? Why do I think my perspective is the right perspective? When the Bible says, no, you have no grounds for confidence and arrogance. Because you are just being fooled and deceived by your heart constantly and by sin. The only way to feel good before the law of God is to be self-deceived. If you feel good before God this morning based on what you've been doing and not doing lately, what you quit, Stop doing or what you've started doing, then let me tell you something. You have totally deceived yourself and you are wrapped up in sin and you can't even see how, how, how deceived you are. That's what the scriptures are telling us. It's a curse to live under the law. Let me give an example just relationally. For 30 years, I've tried to do laundry correctly. And there is a correct way. I mean, look at any garment, you know, I don't know where it is on this sweater, probably back here. Every, every piece of clothing has one of the commandments on them. Wash with light colors. Wash on the delicate cycle and lay flat to dry. You know, uh, wash in warm water, wash in cold water, do not use bleach, do, you know, dry clean only. All these, you know, and man... You know, I, I, I try, and, and Rachel coaches me and teaches me, but man, I ruin things regularly, and it's typically her things, which I hadn't gotten to the root of that. Um, if she took the law, the 10, 20, 30 commandments of laundry, and said, you will get no love from me unless you do the laundry perfectly, I would be cursed. I'd be cursed, because I try. And I try, but doing that one, just doing laundry is not my life. Now you take all the commandments of a perfect God and you get the picture. You can't. And here's what we typically do in situations like that. Oh, why do you nag? Why does it matter? Why do you? And we start pointing that toward God in our relationship with Him. But friends, get this. 
To live apart from Christ is to live under the law. And if you feel distant from God, it's because you are. If you feel that, that, that you're being nagged by God, that you're living under the law, you are. If your perception of God is a, is a nagging wife or an overbearing jerk of a husband, it's because he is right now, because what you're doing is you're defining God by his law. And that's no way to live. And you will hate Christianity. You will hate God. But you've got to understand where it's coming from. You're married to the law. And then secondly, there's a, there's a message to believers. If you're married to Jesus, stop dating the law. If you're married to Jesus, stop dating the law. When you're dating, love is much easier. Um, and it is because there's no law to bind it. You know, that's what, you know, Paul is saying that the law has a power unto it, that it, it, it makes something evil alive in us. All right? You tell me, when do I crave Chick-fil-A? Sunday. I want Chick-fil-A. I mean, I've dreamed about breaking in and frying those little nuggets myself on Sunday afternoon. I don't think about Chick-fil-A all week, but on Sunday... Man, where are we going to lunch? Let's go to Chick-fil-A. Oh, right, it's closed. They don't do business. I mean, something comes alive in me and in all of us when God says, you shall not. That's how messed up we are, how jacked up we are. And so when you're dating, man, everything's glorious. Why? Because you have fallen in love. What does that mean? It means it's just natural. It just, it just flows, man. I mean, oh, you might, I'm made for you, you're made for me. And then you get that commitment. And then you get that covenant. I will love you when you're poor, when you're sick, when I, when I don't want to. I'll love you, I'll love you, I'll love you. And all of a sudden, I don't want to love you. <laughs> this was a mistake. Because the law comes in. And yet, in the midst of marriage, we work at love, and we, and we try, we understand quickly, it's okay, that falling in love thing ain't enough to get us in, through in marriage, so we got to work at it. And so we start doing stuff for each other, and then sin creeps in there. Let me give you an illustration. My, I have a good friend, I actually saw him last night, I was at a wedding reception right here last night, it was kind of bizarre, uh, several hours ago, but um, anyway, I saw my friend last night, and it, it reminded me of a story... He is a pilot, and he knows his wife loves to receive gifts. Uh, her love language is, is receiving gifts. And so, you know, one time um, it, Christmas was coming up, and he was thinking, man, what can I get my wife? And he heard her one day complaining about the vacuum cleaner. And so you know the rest of the story. Um, he said, oh, man. And so he goes to work, buddy. He's a pilot. He loves mechanical things. He gets a consumer report. What's the best vacuum I can buy my bride? Because, man, I, I love my bride, you know. Oh, man, it's coming. So he goes out, and he buys the best vacuum cleaner he can afford. She unwraps it that morning. He's just with anticipation waiting, and he sleeps on the couch that night. You know, <laughs> a vacuum cleaner? What do you, you know, you can only imagine even our righteous deeds 
are but filthy rags. Why? Because here's the deal, and, 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 and I don't know how he responded. We never got, we just laughed at that story when he told it, and we bring it up a lot, and we laugh. But here's why that's such a, a, a core issue for most of our relation, all of our relationships. It's because the overwhelming majority of the time, practically every time, when we give gifts to one another, we're really giving them to ourselves. When we give gifts to one another, we are waiting. We are waiting. We want to see that look on their face. We want to see how they react. We want praise and worship and affirmation. We want them to bow down and say, Oh, you are the most thoughtful husband on the planet. I am so blessed to just be your wife, to be sleeping next to you every night. Oh, look how thought, you know. That's what we want. And when we don't get that, all of a sudden, were you? I must have married the wrong person. See, we're really giving gifts to one another, to, to ourselves. This is how we approach God as Christians. We sing amazing grace, but we treat God as if He is a puppet on a string. And then when He doesn't, when He doesn't dance for us, when we quit this or quit that, or we give our lives to Him and, and we try to, you know, live for Him and we sacrifice and we go, when we do that and He doesn't dance for us, we say, oh, yeah, right, I knew this was a scam. I know you really didn't love me. Man, it's so deep in our hearts. I've told you this story before, but when we left Colorado and came back to Memphis, um, I didn't know I was thinking this. But our first two years were, were a taste of hell, to be honest with you. Our house burned. Rachel and I both had surgeries, pretty major surgeries, injuries and surgeries. Our daughter was in a car wreck. We were audited by the IRS. I could just go down the list. I mean, it was like God. And, and what I saw in my heart when God wasn't dancing for me, what I saw in my heart when God wasn't just blessing me and, and the stars didn't stop and the earth didn't stop, you know, to say, oh, Richard, look, you left Colorado to come to Memphis. What I saw in me was a sense of entitlement. God, I did this and you're not dancing and I don't know about you anymore. You see, I came to Memphis for me and not for God, and that's what he showed me. Listen to Paul in Galatians 3. For the righteous shall live by faith, not manipulative expectations. The righteous shall live by faith, but the law is not of faith. It's of manipulative expectations. That's what he's saying. Rather, the one who does them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who's hanged on a tree. So that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. You see, friends, what Paul is saying there is that you cannot relate to God under the law anymore. You have to come to God because you love God. You can't put laws on him, and the only way to not put laws on him is to understand he doesn't have his law on you. There is no yeah, but. Anytime I'm preaching grace, anytime I'm hearing grace, you are saying yeah, but, and I'm saying yeah, but. Grace is the most dangerous truth to preach and believe. But it is the only truth to preach and believe. 
it takes us out and, and, and makes us dependent upon God. Romans 7, 6. But now we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive, so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written code. Dear friends, you cannot date the law anymore as Christians. You can't say, okay, God, you know, you saved me, but now I'm going to kind of control you and, and I'm going to, you know, try to please you. And, and, and when you don't dance, I'm going to be bitter and angry. You have to come to God for God alone. Because that is the only true motivation to holiness, which is the third point. If you're married to Jesus, you are set free to love by his love. Hear me. If you are married to Jesus, you are set free from trying to, 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 to get his attention and get his approval and get his love by how you live. Because it is finished and it's radical. Let me tell you how radical it is. Something absolutely tragic happened to me this week. I read a blog about Nick Saban and I had good feelings toward Nick Saban. Tragic. Absolutely tragic. If you had told me last week that I would have good feelings toward Nick Saban today, I would say, you're crazy. Are you smoking something? But here's what I read. Signing day was this past week. A man by the name, a young man by the name of Elisha Shaw was, uh, let me get this right, was one of the most sought after defensive tackle recruits in the country. He had 17 college scholarship offers on the table for him to refuse. But last year, in, in August, right going into his senior year, he went low on a tackle and, and hurt his neck and will never play college ball again. One after another of those scholarships came off the table, except for one. You got it. Nick Saban, Alabama. He gave him, he honored a full scholarship to Alabama, even though he will never play one down at Alabama. And I said, okay, that's the gospel. And all of a sudden, as much as I hate it, i got to love Nick Saban at least a little bit. And you know what? That didn't cost Nick Saban anything. It's really not the gospel. Because Nick Saban just moved it from an athletic scholarship to a medical hardship scholarship. So he didn't lose a scholarship. But you know why it impacted me so much? Because it was close to the gospel. It smelled a little bit of the gospel. And if that's the power of, of, what, of what a story about Nick Saban can do to me, can you imagine how the gospel truly is the power of God to get you to believe and do things and be things that you never thought you could? When you understand what Paul is saying here, we said it at the beginning of Romans, this is not just theology for the sake of theology. This is Paul saying, I want you to know the height and the depth and the width and the length of the love of God. I want you to know all the details of how God loves you and the basis upon which and that you are united with Christ and there's nothing that can separate you from the love of God and that your relationship to the law now is one of, yes, you were born under the law. You were born as, as slaves and servants. But now no more because Christ has come. And yes, was God's Love conditional? Yes. But guess who met the condition? Jesus. He lived under the law. You do have a performance. 
That feeling that, oh man, I just need to perform for God. I just need to change this and change that so God will love me. Jesus has already done it. He lived under the law to redeem those who are under the law. So that now we're not under the law anymore. And Paul wants us to know this, that we might sing a doxology, that we might write a song and we might dance and we might love and we might see that this is the food that our souls have been waiting for. It's the gospel. You say, well, Richard, what about obedience? We've got to obey. Of course you have to obey. But listen to how you obey. You know, Paul is talking about so that we, we have died to the law which he held us captive so that we serve in a new way of the Spirit. A new way of the Spirit. What is this new way of the Spirit? Right here, John fourteen twenty three, Jesus said this, If you love me, what? You will obey me. It's not if you obey me, you love me, although he could have said that. But it's if you love me, you will obey me. It's the difference. Living under the law and living under grace is the difference between living under a a, a pimp and sex trafficking and living under the law of marriage. Someone who is forced into sex slavery is taken from everything, taken from home, taken from from, uh, those they love, taken from everything familiar to them, and they are beaten and they are starved and they are spoken down to until they believe that they are nothing more than what the pimp is telling them they are. And yet, that girl can be taken across the country to a man. Just like my daughter Whitney was taken across the country to a man. And if I said there's no difference between those two, you would start, you would get me off this stage. Do you get it? You're over here if you're in Christ. Do you obey? Do you go across country to the man? Yes, but why? Because you're willing to sell everything. You're willing to live poor. You're willing to give up anything because you have seen the love of one who loves you more radically than you've ever been loved before. You see, it's His love, not His law, that wins our obedience. Listen to your God. This is what your God has communicated to you from beginning to end of His Scriptures. Listen, this is you. I chose you. Yes, I know you. In fact, I know more about you than you know about you. I see you and I chose you. I chose to die for you. I chose to give my life for yours. I chose to live every day for you, to use all the power and influence and resources I have to orchestrate a life to you for your good. I love you and will always love you. I will never leave you and not even death can weaken my love for you. It can only bring you to me. You are mine and I am yours. I know you're grumpy in the morning, you're selfish throughout the day, but I chose you anyway. I know what you smell like, and I know it's not always good, but I will love you when you were good, and I will love you when you were bad. I will love you when you were well, and I will love you when you were sick. I'll love you when you're poor, and I'll love you when you're rich, and I'll love you when you're poor again. Because I love you. I choose you forever. 
Dear friends, if you let that sink down in your soul, you will obey at a level that you've never obeyed before and you could never obey before. Because do not doesn't motivate. But I love you motivates. Oh, people of God, would you believe the gospel today because this is Christianity. Whatever you thought it was before, it's not that, it's this. Would you receive Christ today? Would you be renewed in His love? Would you repent for not believing it? Would you see that that even your good works to try to turn the Father's head, it's just pathetic. It's just pride. Because His head doesn't need to be turned. It is absolutely glued on you because of Christ. Oh, would God give us the grace to believe it and live like we believe it and be free to love Him and those around us. God, give us that grace. Amen.